Welcome to the Lawyer Human Show. That's your host, Shreya Lay. That's your host, Colin Lay. And we are co-founders of Lay Roots, a law firm based in Seattle, but serving clients everywhere. And that makes us partners in life and and business. business. As you can imagine, co-owning a business with your partner can be both really awesome and really challenging. So come along with us as we interview other partner-owned businesses and talk to each other about the roller coaster that is life, marriage, and working together. In this episode, we spoke with Connie and Alex of East Fork Pottery. I have been impressed by their marketing communications and the way that they communicate with their customers and network because it is transparent and honest and it feels really authentic. So in this episode, we talk a lot about communication. They are a company based in Asheville, but you can find them online at their website or on Instagram. They're passionate about sustainable table and dinnerware, and they sell and make beautiful plates and bowls. And you should check them out if you have a chance. Follow them on Instagram, go to their website. They are a wonderful company, and we had a great conversation with Connie, and I hope that you enjoy it. I have to ask, so is it true you guys met at a farmer's market? We did. It wasn't, I don't, you can't constitute it as a farmer's market. It was like a holiday craft market that included some vegetables and some cheese okay (laughs) in a basement yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and so and you were working at a goat farm is that accurate yes I was working at that time I was working for two dollars and 15 cents an hour at a goat farm I was (laughs) woofing so it's just I can't believe that's legal in this country (laughs) Yeah. Um, How did you end up at a goat farm? Like what led you there? Uh, The 2008 recession (laughs) led me to that goat farm. Yeah, I was collecting an unemployment check for a little bit. So that's what was allowing the Mm -hmm. uh, $2.15 paycheck. But yeah, I was working in New York um, in 2008 for a a nonprofit that did sustainable agriculture work um, in the school systems. And it had been around since the 60s. And of course, it closed overnight. Everyone got laid off. um, And I moved to Madison County, North Carolina, because it seemed like a really cheap place to live and Mm -hmm. hunker down until I figured out what was next. Um, And there was like a boy involved that I like kind of followed and immediately ditched after I met Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it sounded um, like, was it love at first sight how did you guys meet (laughs) I mean yeah kind of my my mom likes to give a lot of credit to herself and to my grandmother who's in the spirit world um but she had come to visit from Los Angeles and she was just completely mortified at the fact that her like Berkeley educated daughter was living in a single wide trailer and like milking goats and shoveling goat poop um and we're at the farmer's market and she was it's also she, you know, Madison County, North Carolina, there's like a lot of Confederate flags. My family's Mexican. It's like she was like, what the hell are you guys doing here? Why? How how has this become your life? Um, and she was really worried about me being lonely and not having friends. And um, Alex walked by. He was very scruffy looking at that time. And um, she literally was like jabbing me in the in the chest being like, that guy looks like he's your age. Like, just go ask him if you like if you want to if you'd be your friend, just. Go say hi to him. And I ran out the door. 
as he was leaving, he didn't even look at me twice, but um, I tapped him <laughs> on his shoulder and I said the words, would you like to be my friend? Uh, and <laughs> exchanged phone numbers and we went on a date four days later. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty cute. Um, um, and yeah. And then I got snowed in with him for five days. We were stuck inside a cabin um, and the rest was history. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That sounds very idyllic. I read that he kind of has been involved with pottery and pottery as like an art medium for most of his life. Uh, was Had you previously kind of been interested in pottery and art or was it I mean, you? Not at all. Like I, I had interest in art in the same way that, that a lot of people do, yeah. but um no, I had no idea. I don't think you really, anyone could have any idea unless you've really experienced the North Carolina pottery mania. Um, Alex would explain to me, like before I, when I met him, he hadn't set up his kiln yet. He like, he had just bought the property where we then go and build the business. And so there was nothing there. And so he was doing all these drawings and trying to paint, painting a picture of what he was eventually going to do. Um, and it all I mean, I, it, it went in one ear and out the other because I couldn't possibly imagine why someone would build a 36-foot-long vessel in which to fire pieces of pottery in. It like made no sense. And then he was explaining to me that um, at the craft shows, people would like line up two days ahead of time and camp yeah. out and like run to get their favorite pot. And I, it was so foreign. No pottery experience for me. But he'd been doing it since he was six years old. Yeah. That's so great. Did you know that you wanted to go into business together? I mean, it sounds like you the goat farm was maybe a little more temporary for you. Yeah. 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 I mean, no, I, I had, it was a, a classic situation where I was a person who had lots of interests, lots of skills. I was 23. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Maybe I was going to go to law school. Maybe I was going to, yeah. you know, work in magazines. Maybe I was going to go back to grad school and do a sustainable agriculture program. I was just testing it out, having that normal Saturn's return existential crisis. And Alex was just like, I am a potter and I'm going to build a pottery. That is my only purpose. And, um, <laughs> so it was very confusing. And um, I was very, very depressed at the time because I was um, you know, trying to figure it out. I, and he, here was a person who seems like he knew exactly who he was. Clearly that was a show and he has since become more himself than he was at that time. That happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He had a lot of, a lot of confidence for a 24 year old to be like, this is who I am. And so who I'll always be forever and ever. I tried really hard to not go in business with him. Um, I was thinking like, but there's no, in Asheville where we are, um, it was either I had to leave or invent something myself here because there's no graduate school. There's very little opportunity for the jobs that I wanted to or saw myself doing. So it's really like a bring your own job sort of place unless yeah. you're in the service industry or restaurant industry, which which I was. But um, yeah, very actively trying to not be in the business. And then I realized our lives would just be a lot better and the business would be a lot better if I just sucked it up and yeah. Joined for yeah. <laughs> I mean, are you happy with your decision now? Like, do you see like a real space for you in this business? Oh, I mean, absolutely. It's absolutely. It's I feel very much like equal partners in this business. I mean, if anything, I think it's, you know, the tides have turned because I'm kind of the public face of the company and I do a lot of the communicating and a lot of the visioning for 
what the company looks like and how we talk and all that. Um, and I think sometimes Alex is like, whose company, like he doesn't really have that. Um, he kind of struggles with like, a, is am I the founder or did this thing really actually get founded when we came together? There's no doubt that Alex, John and I are, are the, the co-owners of this business are, are equal partners, even though technically Alex has more equity ownership in the company than I do. Um, but that made a big difference too. Like there, I was working for free, free work for a really long time and didn't have any equity ownership. And Alex was kind of, he was like, well, what does it matter? Like we're getting married. Like you by default have half of the company. If I own it half, and I was like, that's no, not going to work like that. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like the, the attitude change. And um, after I, I became a 15% owner. It it dramatically changed how we all interacted with each other. So it was that's a it was an interesting little lesson um, mm-hmm. in like the importance of putting it on paper. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, and what has kind of struck me as I you know I follow you guys on Instagram. I get your emails, and I think it's very clear to me that it's your voice that I am reading a lot of times and um, it feels very authentic. And I think part of what has really impressed me about your advertising or marketing, I mean, if you want to call it that, is just that it feels very transparent and open and authentic. And so like I remember seeing you, you guys had some post where you broke down all of your costs And I know for us, like we often struggle sometimes, even with how open is too open. So like how was that always something that was like kind of a personality trait for you that that's your natural inclination to be kind of that open and transparent or? um, Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I feel um, I'm my nature is actually extremely introverted, but I, I feel like I charade as an extrovert on social media uh, for the betterment of my business because yeah. it is an effective marketing tactic. In my personal life, I, I'm a very honest person, but I'm not necessarily an overshare with friends or with acquaintances. There's kind of like, I don't, I, I feel like I can be vulnerable, but I don't, if I meet someone for the first time, I'm not going to start telling them my life story and all of the, you know, troubles of my youth or whatever. I, um, I, I tend to to build friendships really slowly, but I think because we didn't, we, we didn't say like, we're going to fill a hole in the market and launch a brand and write a brand strategy. We just started talking about the things that we were doing. Um, really, I mean, Instagram was like, was that catalyst. It was mm-hmm. at that time when you actually had to take the photo in the, mo- in the app and, like yeah. the caption, it really kind of forced you to be quote authentic because there wasn't a whole lot of like ability to edit. And so I remember when like you were able to put videos on there and I was just kind of filming Alex while he made pots and talking over it and putting it up. And um, that just kind of was the brand just because <laughs> there was no strategy. But then I was like, oh, this could be a strategy actually. Yeah. Um, and so it's, we've just kept doing it um, and we've made it a little smarter and I've brought more voices in, but it, the strategy of just like explaining to people what it is we do here um, mm-hmm. feels right for us. And it also just, I'm, sometimes I'm confused about why people are scared to be more transparent about how their businesses work, because if you're, unless you're doing something shady, then like why? Yeah, um, I think sometimes 
um, it can be sort of that peer or social pressure um, amongst like colleagues, like, well, nobody else is doing it. So am I doing something wrong by um, being this way or by, and, and it can draw a lot of anger, I think, from other businesses who are maybe not doing that. Yeah, that's, that's first, that's true. I feel like um, you end up kind of pressuring people into maybe following suit, but I think that's why we, mm-hmm. why we do it. Um, and we, we take our, our role as leaders in the business community very seriously and that like we want to set a tone for how people could do things. Um, and we've seen businesses take some of that um, advice and start rolling out more transparent means of communication. Uh, and that feels awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, I think that you're right that it, uh, it, what it does is opens everything up for scrutinizing. So yeah. if you make a mistake and you tell people um people are, are going to tell you why they think you've really screwed up. Meanwhile, other businesses <laughs> who aren't talking about their mistakes are, are doing it left and right and no one's giving them flack for it. But I think in this specific moment in our culture, people are going to find out that yeah. if you're doing something that's not cool <laughs> by, if you're treating your employees poorly or if you're, yeah, if you're not looking into the um, values alignment of your vendors, people are going to find out. So you better get ahead of it and just, you know, yeah acknowledge it first. Yeah. I, I remember when we were first starting out, I mean, we didn't think we were doing anything novel or interesting. We were just wanting to be ourselves. And that's why we started our own firm as opposed to joining some other firm. Um, we felt like we were not wanting to, that we were kind of like round pegs trying to be forced into this like square hole or I don't know if actually it's supposed to be the opposite but (laughs) (laughs) but um and so we started our own firm and we were just talking about being human and uh being ourselves and we had pictures of ourselves in our snowboarding gear or you know whatever it was and we got hate mail um I received like hate mail from an older attorney who was just like so mad that we were being like a disgrace to the profession of law oh my God. by having a picture of myself in like a snowboard with my snowboard. <laughs> he was just like so mad about it. But, I, you know, I'm sure. I mean, it's, I guess that like it's the legal profession is one that it's just it's so riddled with that um, need to cling on to the the all of the pomp and circumstances of the yeah. professional world it, even though like people who even really r- radical attorneys who are fighting for criminal justice and like the yeah those need yeah they, they're still like, expected to wear suits every single day it's ridiculous my sister goes to Yale she's a, uh, in law school there and she was like not wanting to pierce her nose because then she's, she's like I can't I have to take my nose piercing out because I'm in law school and like that's just still such a thing yeah but I'm sure that there are plenty of people who like would really like uh, to hire a female attorney who has body piercings and or facial piercings and tattoos. Because right. Because they see themselves in that yeah. person. Right. And they find it relatable. Um, so, you know, this is a podcast about being partners in life and business. And so, you know, some of that transparent communication and just being honest and open, do you find that, um, that translates to your personal life as well as like a couple or 
does it do you have to put up like boundaries and be like we can't <laughs> I mean we we talk about all the boundaries that we should put up all the time and then we always cross them. yeah <laughs> um yeah we struggle I think that it's we keep doing it because we're both so obsessed with what we do and I think we both at um at the heart of it have a lot of respect for um the other person's skills but yeah it is not a walk through the garden all the time for us that is for sure especially with raising two kids there's just no time to talk about or no time to to think about our relationship outside of work even I don't know much less than yeah there's (laughs) we're struggling this in quarantine it's really special yeah you know um I think it it definitely puts things under in in like a pressure cooker essentially the the whole self isolation quarantine stuff because you don't have that outlet i mean before this started i would people would ask us for instance what do you do for date night and i would laugh and i would say oh well i go spend time with other people That's yeah like cuz we see each other like all the time um yeah. But now we can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just like yeah. all the time. <laughs> I'm going to go into the other room. <laughs> yeah. Close the door. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. It puts things into a different kind of perspective. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. I, we just, I keep trying to say like, all things considered, we're doing okay. Like we have to look at this. Alex has kind of expectations. He grew up in a very, um, not a conflict-free house, but a, a house that didn't um, show conflict to with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he thought his his parents were fine and dandy until one day they just got divorced. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the kids were completely blindsided because they'd never seen them argue or never um, had heard about tension in the relationship. Um, and so I think that Alex, and I came from a, you know, Mexican family where we all did a lot of talking over each other and there was a lot of loving and a lot of touching and hugging and kissing and screaming and um very different than Alex's and so I think he yeah he he does not love um the need to have to be around each other and and experience each other's emotions all the time um oh (laughs) for sure I mean I would say Colin and I are similar in that in that Colin grew up in a much quieter household very peaceful (laughs) (laughs) um where people don't i think get in each other's business or talk um they definitely don't talk over each other there's definitely no screaming and yelling um whereas in like when we go home for the holidays at his house people will be all in the same room sitting quietly like silently and like reading and just minding their own business. Um, yeah, Alex's family will like play a board game quietly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whereas my house, even though um, we, I only have one sibling, so it was just like four of us, well, five, including my grandmother. And there was like five of us in the household, which is not like a huge number of people, but it's always loud. Like there's always something going on. There are pots banging. People are yelling about something. The TV's on. There's music on. People are like running around. And so um, when 
Colin comes to like my family's house, he's very overwhelmed and he'll sometimes <laughs> just like go up to like my room and just like sit with the door closed. No, I, I even go into the closets. There's three closets. <laughs> I can go in there for a while. And my parents were like, what? Why is he doing that? Where is he? Why isn't he participating? Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, uh, he's scared. And they're like, what? Why? What yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we first met, um, well, it took a long time and we're still learning to be honest, you know, but it, it took a long time to learn each other's communication styles um, and adapt more to that. Um, I learned more about like the silent treatment or like not really even the silent treatment, but just like keeping things to myself <laughs> instead of just blurting them out. And, you know, I think it's served me well in that I think it Sometimes things don't need to be said right away. I've learned that. Totally. <laughs> Alex, Alex has this slogan that he likes to say, um, does it improve the silence? And so, yeah, he, he used to ask <laughs> me all the time, um, like, do you need to be saying this to me right now? And um, I'm still learning. I, for the most part, I'm pretty bad at it still. But I think <laughs> about it a lot. And I think that's a good one. Like, does yeah. what I have to say actually improve the silence of this room? Yeah. I think I think I'm better with it in a professional setting than I am in a personal setting. I'm not so good at it in the professional setting either. I feel like I yeah, I definitely get get feedback from my teams that I could use to say less. <laughs> or even when I don't say anything, people are like, Well, your eyebrows say it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a struggle for me is um so you know, we were talking about just like honesty and uh that being kind of a personality trait. I've always had a really hard time lying like I just have never been someone that can like hide my feelings and thoughts very well people always used to tell me growing up like it doesn't matter if you didn't say anything I can see what you're feeling on your face (laughs) (laughs) um so I have there have been times where I've tried to like honestly like lie to Colin about something like I've been like and then I immediately just like confess it (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm a small child sometimes or I'm like no that's not true yeah no it is totally I 100% (laughs) did that (laughs) I bought that thing (laughs) I you know did this but that's good quality that's good I'm sure that's amplified somewhat with having kids too. Like I'm sure you see that with um, your kids as they grow up. And <laughs> oh, I mean, children. Yeah, they. I'm. I'm trying to navigate like what feels. My parents were all about like a good, well placed lie when they were raising us. Like you know, the TV's broken or yeah. Um, I don't know. Just white lies. Like they could get us to do anything. They for a long time they told us that um, when you told a lie, you could stick out your tongue. They would know that we were lying because our tongues would would turn like a dark purple. Um, (laughs) And so we would, if we lied, they would say, stick out your tongue. And um, we'd be like, oh shit. Um, And they'd be like, oh, it's, it's, your tongue's black. Sorry. (laughs) You're lying. And I believed it until I was like 12. (laughs) 
And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like those sorts of, I'm like, I, I want to be able to use those sorts of lies on my kids, but I also like think that it was really messed up how manipulative my parents were in like <laughs> lots of other ways of communicating, like emotionally dishonest. So yeah. try, to, try to tell my kids the truth, but <laughs> Didn't you have something like that with your dad? Didn't he tell you something that you believed for a really long time, Colin? Uh, you might be thinking of Fred's story. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. His family, well, all, all of them, they're from Brazil. And his parents, for a laugh, told him that he was in the country illegally. So, oh, any, no. so anytime they saw a policeman, they told him to hide. So he'd be in the car, like, hiding in the back seat. And yeah, it was the same thing until he was like 12, 13. Yeah. He was hiding from the police. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) I had a friend who she's one of three sisters and they would play like pranks on each other. And her older sister, she was middle. Her older sister, when she was learning to drive, told her that all the stop signs with white around the edge were optional and it was only the solid <laughs> red stop signs that were that you had to like adhere to they were in like the country so it was less dangerous but yeah. she went around like she was on her learner's permit and you know her oh, mom's no. in the car with her and she started just blowing through all the <laughs> stops oh signs. no <laughs> uh, oh. kind of makes yeah. for like funny stories as you get older but also a little messed up <laughs> yeah totally totally yeah. Okay. Last one. It's just like so egregious. My parents told me that we had, I had an older brother that they left on the side of the road during a road trip. Um, and his name was Lenny. Uh, and then years later I, I found a VHS that said Lenny's first airplane on it. Uh, and my brother and I then like, after we finally had decided together that Lenny could not possibly have been real at like 14. We're like, maybe he was real. Oh, no. Definitely not real. But my parents, that was like, they're like, do you want to end up like Lenny? Like, <laughs> we were fighting in the car. So messed up. That's so so messed, messed up. up, but also so genius. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I know. I think yeah. under the modern, like, you know, whatever slang, it would be considered savage. Totally, yeah. <laughs> it was very savage. <laughs> you know, I guess this is like a huge time of uncertainty. So it feels weird to like ask a, a lot of like our normal questions. Like, what do you hope for for your business? Because <laughs> yeah. people are like, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know what yeah. that's going to happen. You know, when we first talked uh, we kind of talked a little bit about like division of labor. And so um, and how I know for us that really improved our professional relationship was dividing tasks and what we were in charge of. Do you guys do that as well? I think you said that you do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm the three of us, the three founders, John is our business partner and he's our CFO. Um, he was wearing the COO hat for a while, but came out of that. He hated it. And yes, it's we have very very clear um, delineation um, between who does what and who's managing who. We wouldn't ever think to like go to someone else's direct report and give them something to do unless we talk to their manager first. And so we we try to take that really seriously um, and encourage our team to take that seriously too. Um, Most of the time, Alex has no idea what I'm working on um, unless I 
decide to fill him in and kind of vice versa. Um, Alex's role is so different. It's much more, you know, visionary and exploratory. And he has a lot of conversations with people that are just like relationship building or, Mm -hmm. you know, and my, I'm much more in the weeds and having, I have to have a long-term vision too, obviously, but my, I'm thinking, I'm like looking at sales every day in a way that Alex isn't. So, um, yeah, yeah, pretty different. What was maybe, so like you said, there was some like hesitancy for you, like you didn't know that you really wanted to go into business together. What was the scariest thing for you guys in, in branching off into this? Well, I think at the time I didn't, it was such a different operation. Like it was just Alex making pots and it was very much his Mm -hmm. thing. Like it was everything about it felt like his world. And Um, I mean, I remember I was at this event, um, one time in Highlands and this old pottery collector, this, you know, I don't know, 75 year old white guy was like, all right, honey, I I have something to tell you. And he grabs my arm and pulls me aside and he looks at me in the eye and says, I can tell you're smart. I can tell you have a lot of opinions and you and Alex are going to do great things together, but you have to make sure that you're always a step behind. You have to make sure that that this is his show. And I was like, I was so confused. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Person I don't know. Thank you for telling me how to live my life. But yeah, I think that that I still, I was so, became so immediately defensive to it because it did feel very much like that where I was having to be kind of like the behind the scenes worker helping um, be like a cog in Alex's beautiful machine. Um, And at that time I was like, there's just no way like that will never ever yeah. be a life that I could participate in. Um, and then once I started kind of doing it, um, I started realizing that there were more opportunities for an equal partnership where I could actually make the company um, have just as much of my influence as his or um, yeah. where I felt like I could actually imprint my personal philosophy onto it and my aesthetic and whatever. And so only then when I was like, oh, I have to start thinking out of the box and, and thinking about how, like, what would this look like if it wasn't just Alex's business, if it was our business, it would look really different. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I could feel good about. So once I, once, once that clicked for me, it felt easier. For sure. And I mean, I hate, like stereotyping or but I do feel like I sometimes bring that some baggage as being like a woman and not wanting to be like discounted or have my role downplayed also like I bring a certain amount of defensiveness to it and I don't think that's I mean I think rightly so in a lot of ways um but I I think we have sometimes that struggle as well, where one person feels like more left out and one person, it changes. I think it flip flops for us sometimes. Like I'll sometimes be like, why aren't you including me in your videos? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, why didn't you CC me on that email? And then like, because you literally told me that you never wanted to be included in this, these sorts of conversations. And you're just like, well, but now I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah definitely. I think that it's, it makes a lot of sense that women are still going to be acting from that position. Even, even if you, you do end up finding a, one of the few good men who are willing to have an equal partnership. Um, there is of course that baggage. And I think a lot of, a, a lot of men who do seem like really awesome men who care about, about feminism, they're still having to actually look at like, their own baggage and 
um, realized that even, you know, Alex does, Alex does more parenting than I do right now because I am more in the weeds with the business and most of the time his work can wait and mine can't. And so he, he has been stepping up to that, into that role and it's been amazing. Um, but he'll still like give these little jabs of like, not, I mean, he should pat himself on the bat, bat for it, but he's back for it. But he, um, he's still working under this, like, oh, this is, I'm stepping in for the mom because mom can't be here rather than just being like, I'm going to be the parent. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. Um, yeah. It's, it's subtle, but I, I think it's going to take us all just a lot of, like, I think our generation of, yeah, hetero, like men, women, couples yeah. who are dealing with those, um, unraveling that domestic baggage like we are in the thick of it you know we're doing a lot of that that work really actively in a way that no other generation has so I feel like we should all be forgiving of ourselves when (laughs) we slip you know yeah I'll hear it sometimes from friends I mean you know I have a variety of friends they're all doing various things with their careers and have and are at various points in their relationships, either they have like a family, they're married, they're dating, they're single, like all sorts of a broad spectrum, right? And I think it's funny the reactions I get sometimes when I mention that I do all the cooking Mm -hmm. uh, in our household. And Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, well, you know, I make, you know, my partner's spouse or whatever cook and I'm like well I don't want to eat his cooking so (laughs) that's why I do all the cooking and they automatically go to a place of like oh this is like a very traditional gender roles in this relationship but then you know they don't necessarily hear like Colin I hate doing laundry like I will let all of my clothes run out before I do laundry and so Colin does like all of the laundry and he'll like wash all of the clothes He'll fold them. Um, but it, you know, so it's not like he's not doing domestic chores, but right. it's just <laughs> people. Right. And then, like, sometimes the response is like, well, yeah, he better be. Or right. Instead of just like, oh, cool, you guys have figured out this, the things that you like to do and are sharing responsibility. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting time that we're living through in more ways than one, regardless yes. of the yes. self-isolation. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting to see like women who really take pleasure in domestic life get chastised for it. And, you know, there's just like no place in my version of feminism for that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, especially during quarantine, I like have like every single meal, like I go to sleep in my, my anxiety soothing tool is to think about all of the different recipes I can make with the, my what's in my pantry and my refrigerator yeah um and I like plan it out all very carefully so like if Alex even so much as like opens the refrigerator to take out an orange I'm like no (laughs) that's that orange is earmarked (laughs) for this thing that I'm doing later yeah I'm making a very complicated salad inspired by yeah yeah definitely um Colin (laughs) has learned to specifically ask me about cheese so he will like snack on cheese and like sometimes I'm like, I can't believe you ate all of that cheese. Like I wanted to make, you know, I don't know, a lasagna or, you know, something. And that cheese was going in there. Yeah. Didn't you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we can kind of wrap up by a little bit by um, do you have any advice 
for either business owners or partners in life and business, people who want to go into business with like someone they live with? <laughs> Ooh, man. Or something mm. that you would tell them? <laughs> yeah, I guess I would say, um, I think you shouldn't make the decision to go in business together based on whether or not you like the idea of being in business together. Um, I think you should make the decision on whether you think that outside of your relationship, that the skills that you both have make sense in a business partnership. Um, And if they do, then you can start having the complicated decision of, do we want to sacrifice the sanctity of our relationship to introduce this other, other very different, very complicated relationship? I think you have to take it really, really seriously. And first and foremost, actively engage in the conversation of whether or not you're going to make good business partners, because if you aren't, then you're just going to find so many more reasons to be critical and resentful. You're going to get in those sorts of fights regardless. Yeah. Um, so you better be sure that you, you trust that person's business instincts or their skill that they're, they're bringing. Um, otherwise you're just setting yourselves up for failure. So yeah. And then if you're like, no, I think that we're going to make really great business partners, then you can say at what expense, like it, is, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really great advice, actually, because Colin and I were very naive um, and we kind of leapt before we thought about it. I, I think in many ways it ended up working out so far, at least <laughs> <laughs> that we have um, different skills and different interests. And so we can balance each other out in the business. And so mm-hmm. it ended up working out that way, which is great. But I don't know that we thought about it at the very beginning. We kind of thought about it along the way, where at first we were definitely butting heads and right on top of each other with like trying to do all the things where I'm like, well, I can do that. And then realized like, oh no, like I'm better at finances and being, you know, with the numbers um, than Colin is. And so I should be doing that and take that over. And like, you know, he loves the online marketing piece. And so he should do that because I just won't do it because I am not that interested in it. And so, yeah, I think that's definitely good advice. And hopefully we would have come to the same conclusion had we thought about it ahead of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go into business together. I mean, that's also just like you have to, even if you had, you can make a plan and probably you're going to crumple up the plan and throw it out and write a new one. But I think it it is nice to just, even if you're just like, I'm going to dump everything onto a piece of paper that I might be interested in doing. And also the things that I have no interest in doing. And then just like start seeing where there's crossover, start noticing where there might be some conflict and yeah. And then let yourself grow. You might be sick of it. the next year and you have to write a new one. If people are interested in, uh, finding out more about you guys or um, and during this time, if there are specific ways that people can support you guys in your business, how would they do that? Yeah. So you can find us easily on Instagram at East Fork 
pottery um, or at eastfork.com. For the month of April, our big push, since our fulfillment center is closed um, and it feels icky to be um, actively asking people um, every day to buy stuff from us, our goal for April is really going to be um, serving as a vessel for the redistribution of wealth in the Buncombe County community. So we're going to be hosting a raffle every week in the month, this month um, to benefit um, Pisgah Legal, who's a, an organization here, Pro Bono, a nonprofit uh, law firm that's helping with folks who are getting evicted and who um, people in domestic um, abusive relationships who are having to live with their Domestic right. partners. We're hosting a raffle for Haywood Street Congregation, which is serving the homeless community, and um, the WNC um, Workers Organization, which is doing a rapid relief fund um, for folks who are not getting unemployment benefits right now. So, yeah, joining in on those raffles, we're going to be raffling off um, custom pieces from Alex. So, we'll pick five winners a week, and then Alex will make anything that they want. And oh, with cool. love. Yeah, we're hoping to raise about $100,000 to redistribute in Buncombe County this month. So. All right. Yeah. We'll do what we can to help uh, make that a reality. <laughs> yeah. Five bucks goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you all for listening to our show. And thank you so much to Connie Matisse from East Fork Pottery. If you are interested in learning more about them, we will link to their stuff. You can find them on Instagram. You can find out their website. They're super cool. If you are interested in learning more about us, the lawyer humans at Lay Roots, check us out on the socials. You can find us on the YouTube, lawyer humans, and on Instagram at Lay Roots Legal. Yeah. And if you want to hear more of this awesome content from The Lawyer Human Show, subscribe. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. Basically anywhere. Basically anywhere. And thank you to Populous Radio 